All right, so let's start with our summary statement. Psalm 128 sings of the blessed peace. And prosperity of Israel. When Yahweh's blessings come from Zion. We'll go over that one more time. Psalm 128 sings of the blessed peace and prosperity of Israel. When Yahweh's blessings come from Zion. Uh, Outline for this psalm be in two parts, verses 1 to 4, true blessing. And verses 5 to 6, pronounced blessing. Go over that one more time. Verses 1 to 4, true blessing. Verses 5 to 6, pronounced blessing. All right, so we'll go to our observations. Um, Psalm 128 is an anonymous psalm. You can see the superscription there, a song of degrees. Uh, There's no author attribution or anything in the text really indicating um, the authorship of the psalm. No musical direction beyond the term uh, in the superscription. And there's no occasion that is given for the writing of the psalm, uh, though like some of the others that we have seen, um, this psalm envisions the future peace of Israel. To categorize Psalm 128, it is a psalm of ascent, and that is the group of psalms beginning with Psalm 120 and going through Psalm 134. Um, so this is the ninth of the 15 psalms in that group. Um, so Psalm 128 begins the second half. Um, you had seven and then um, the Psalm 127, and then now you have seven to follow. So this will be the first of those of the second seven. Um, the minor elements of this psalm, uh, obviously it is a Zion psalm. You have mention of Zion and Israel, uh, I mean Zion and Jerusalem and Um, Israel all in this particular psalm. Um, It also has elements of wisdom to it. And so when you see uh, terms like blessed that's repeated in this psalm, uh, the fear of the Lord, um, references to home and family, um, reference to the way, which is uh, common in in wisdom literature and and such. Um, So these are are, uh, wisdom references within the psalm. And we could also say, um, that it's uh, prophetic predictive because it is envision- envisioning a future scene. Now, Psalm 128 connects with the Psalms of Ascent. Um, we have been looking at, at how they sort of progress, as, as a, how they work together as a group in particular. And with Psalm 128, you see um, sort of a brighter note being struck. And so the first half of this group of psalms um, had much more of a lament mood to them. And now as we get to this second half of the psalms of ascent, you're going to notice in general a a brighter mood. And so 
Um, you'll have themes of exile and restoration and uh, home and family and harvest become more prevalent in the second part of this group. Uh, this psalm has um, particularly strong connections with Psalm 127. It's, it's almost, in some ways, like it's a, just a companion um, psalm to it, touching on many of the, of the same aspects. It certainly has connection with other Zion psalms. And I would also say that um, it connects um, quite a bit with Psalms 1 and 2, and Psalm 1 being a wisdom psalm that, that starts the whole entire collection, uh, Psalm 2 pertaining to the um, anointed son king who comes to reign in, in Zion, and he rules over the, the nations with a rod of iron and that, that sort of thing. And you, you, get some, uh, you get some interconnectedness between um, Psalm 128 and those two psalms in particular. Uh, the poetic features for Psalm 128, uh, there is some imagery that's used, uh, reference to a vine and to an olive tree. Um, these are, are images of, of something that's um, lasting and, and fruitful and, and valuable that's being communicated there. There is some repetition, uh, particularly with ble- the blessed or blessing. Uh, a couple different words are used for, for blessed in this psalm. Uh, you do get uh, the fear of the Lord that gets repeated somewhat in this psalm as well. Um, this psalm has a future uh, orientation, uh, and you can see that it becomes very clear, you know, thou, thou shalt and shalls and things like that. It's looking forward um, to a, a future fulfillment of this psalm. And overall, I would say the psalm um, has a very bright mood to it. Um, it's a psalm that you could you could read and just it would it would sort of give you um, a, a mental image of of maybe you know just a, a, a very peaceful um, peaceful afternoon and very pleasant time at at home with your family and and things like that and so it's a, it's a very bright mood to the psalm. All right, so we'll work our way through this psalm. There are six verses here. I'll go ahead and read these. Blessed is every one that feareth the Lord, that walketh in his ways. For thou shalt eat the labor of thine hands, happy shalt thou be, and it shall be well with thee. Thy wife shall be as a fruitful vine by the sides of thine house, thy children like olive plants round about thy table. Behold, that thus shall the man be blessed that feareth the Lord. The Lord shall bless thee out of Zion, and thou shalt see the good of Jerusalem all the days of thy life. Yea, thou shalt see thy children's children, and peace upon Israel." So verse number one gives us the opening statement of the blessed and happy condition, and that's pretty common with, within the wisdom-type um, psalms. And, and uh, again, psalm number one that begins um, the entire collection. Now the conditions of, of this blessed or happiness are fearing the Lord and walking in his ways. And of course the word for ways here, uh, it is direct, which uh, is very common a word that means a road or a path, and it's very common in wisdom literature to be used to describe uh, the course of one's life. And so here it is Yahweh's way, meaning the way of righteousness and the way of peace that is keeping his word. And of course, we get the echoes right off um, from Psalm number one. When you get to verses two and three, um, we're given these two images, which is primarily the imagery that this psalm consists of. So on the one, you have eating the labor of your hands and it being well. 
So this has given us an, an image of working prosperously. So obviously there's an implication here that there's work of plowing, there's work of planting, there's work of tending, there's work of reaping that, that takes place, but it's rewarded with an, an abundant harvest. In other words, um, it's not... Um, you know, it's not futile. It's it, it's it, it is um, work that is rewarded. Um, hard work is put in, and uh, a good harvest is gained. A good reward. So there's no there's no futility here of planting but not reaping, um, and, and that can be for all kinds of reasons. Uh, that could be because of wars. Uh, it could be because of pests. It could be because of disasters and drought. And there's all kinds of reasons that, that a person might um, do all the prep work and plant their field and do all that work, but then fail to bring in a harvest because it, it is lost um, with the fire or you know, a lightning strike or something that starts a fire, whatever, whatever the case may be. So this image that it's, that it's giving us is that there's a, there's a, a surety here of eating the labor of your hands. So you'll put in work and you will get the reward. Um, you, you won't put in work and it be wasted and not receive the reward. Being well that's um, spoken of here ha- has the idea of the fullest sense of good. In other words, this image is saying that, that your life will be good. Your, your work will be rewarded. The things that you put your hands to will be rewarded and your life will be good. The next image comes in the next verse there with the family. And um, here we get actually a pair of, of images here. The wife is a fruitful vine, children like olive trees. Um, so the, the image that we're given here is, is uh, being surrounded by family. Um, the wife and, and children pictured here, vine and olive trees. Again, these are these are, these are valuable, um, they're long-lasting, uh, they're high-producing plants, and they bring much blessing to the home, particularly in the forms of wine and oil, um, such daily staples um, as what they had need of. And so really the, the image is, is conveying to us that of, of sufficiency. This is not an image of lack and want and scraping by, but this is an, an image of, of having everything that, that you need and doing well and flourishing um, and prospering and your work um, being rewarded and, and all such as that. That's the images that we're given. And then verse 4 functions somewhat like a refrain. Um, it, it sort of looks back to, to what has been said in the previous verses. Behold, that thus shall the man be blessed at fear of the Lord. So it sort of sim- summarizes the image of the blessedness. This is the condition um, that is being spoken of. And then, of course, repeats the fear of the Lord. And fear of the Lord um, refers particularly to reverence. It's also a strong um, covenantal reference to taking refuge in him, um, fully trusting in him. Uh, and so this is, this is the result. Then we get to the um, last part. So verse 5 in this psalm gives us a confident blessing. In other words, it's, it's, it's forward-looking, but it's, but it's a confident statement of what is to come. Now, the question we might ask is, well, where do these blessings come from? How, 
how are these images going to be fulfilled in the earlier part of the psalm? And verse 5 gives us that answer that, that Yahweh will, will bless you out of or from Zion. So Yahweh in Zion is, is going to bring these blessings. And you notice also in verse 5 how that it is connected with the prosperity of Jerusalem. So obviously, Jerusalem will, will be flourishing and will be prosperous. Um, and, and the idea uh, that's conveyed here is seeing and says, good all of the days of thy life. In other words, this is, this is a sort of an unending picture. This is, this, is not just, this is not just a season. You know, this is not just a, a good season that you might have in life. This is unending. This, these, are, these are permanent type of blessings, full blessings for all of life. Verse 6 gives the concluding blessing and the promise of seeing grandchildren and future generations speaks of a blessed long life. Uh, and obviously, to have a blessed long life, that means that your life is not otherwise interrupted. It's not interrupted by wars and disasters and diseases and pandemics and, and all of these sort of things. The word for peace here upon Israel, that is the shalom, um, refers to peace and safety and security and well-being and, and prosperity. Um, so the future prosperity of Jerusalem and Israel are here connected. And the reference to this present hope, that will be future reality. So back in like Psalm um, 122, verses 6 to 9, and Psalm 125 and verse 5 that we saw earlier in, in these Psalms of Ascent, ref- referring to um, this restoration of Israel. And ultimately what, what we're seeing here as we look at the end of this psalm is what these psalms of ascent are building to. Um, that restoration um, of Israel and, and Jerusalem, that gathering of, of them, the end of the exile, and all of these sort of things. All right, so let's go to our interpretation here. What does Psalm 128 mean? Now, if this psalm only consisted of verses 1 to 4 and was not part of the Psalms of Ascent and was not where it's at, you know, in the psalm, we might think that, well, it's just sort of an idealistic picture. It's just sort of a, of a goal that, that we could strive for, that our life is, is blessed this way. But it is much, much more than that. Psalm 128 teaches a future time of peace and prosperity that will be filled with joy and blessings without the futility of this present life. Again, when you think about, about the images here, there's all kinds of interruptions to, the, to, to these things. Um, there, there's all kinds of work that can be lost, that we don't gain the full reward, or maybe we don't gain the reward at all from work that we have expended. Um, families and generations that are cut off with, with war and, and disease and all these, all these various things. There's all kinds of things that, that, inter- that would um, prevent these from being fulfilled. Well, this, this is a picture, obviously, of the future when the curse will be reversed from the earth. Because otherwise, it's not possible 
to, to live in this condition that's being described. So if you think back to like Genesis chapter 3, verses 17 to 19, And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened to the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake, and sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. Solomon referred to the futility of life as vanity in the book of Ecclesiastes. Vanity. Um, Paul essentially refers to the same in, in Romans 8, talking about the vanity, how that this creation has been subjected to futility. And so this is what continues this present age. Here's what Paul wrote, Romans chapter 8, verses 20 to 23. For the creature was made subject to vanity or futility, not willingly, but by reason of him. Creature there means creation. Not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope. Because the creature, or the creation itself, also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption, that's the, the futility, the curse, into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now, and not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. So this present life is, is a time that doesn't fit this picture. This present life is a time of futility. This present life is a time when work is expended and it is not rewarded. When things are lost and generations are cut off. But this psalm is more specifically, it's not just a general picture of the reverse of the curse on the earth. This psalm is more specifically a picture of the reversing of the curse on Israel. So if you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 28, and, and really the whole chapter, um, it would be very relevant here, but I'm, I'm going to pick out a few, few verses here and there. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 1 to 6. And it shall come to pass that if thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe and to do all his commandments which I command thee this day, that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come on thee and overtake thee. If thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God, blessed shalt thou be in the city, blessed shalt thou be in the field, blessed shall be the fruit of thy body, and the fruit of thy ground, and the fruit of thy cattle, and the increase of thy kind, and the flocks of thy sheep. Blessed shall be thy basket and thy store. Blessed shalt thou be when thou comest in, and blessed shalt thou be when thou goest out. Now this is talking about, obviously, the blessings of being in covenant relationship, faithful covenant relationship with God. But then he goes on to talk about the curses. Sometimes we refer to it curses. We could refer to it as judgments, whatever, however we want to look at it there. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 15 to 19. But it shall come to pass, if thou wilt not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God, which they didn't, and he said that they wouldn't, to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes, which I command thee this day, that all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. And listen to these. Cursed shalt thou be in the city, and cursed shalt thou be in the field. Cursed shall be thy basket and thy store. Cursed shall be the fruit of thy body and the fruit of thy land, the increase of thy kind, the flocks of thy sheep, 
Cursed shalt thou be when thou comest in, and cursed shalt thou be when thou goest out. Pick up just a few more verses here. Verses 30 to 34. Thou shalt betroth a wife, and another man shall lie with her. Thou shalt build a house, and thou shalt not dwell therein. Thou shalt plant a vineyard, and shalt not gather the grapes thereof. Thine ox shall be slain before thine eyes, thou shalt not eat thereof. Thine ass shall be violently taken away from before thy face, and shall not be restored to thee. Thy sheep shall be given unto thine enemies, and thou shalt have none to rescue them. Thy sons and thy daughters shall be given unto another people, and thine eyes shall look and fail with longing for them all the day long, and there shall be no might in thine hand. The fruit of thy land and all thy labors shall a nation which thou knowest not eat up, and thou shalt be only oppressed and crushed away, so that thou shalt be mad for the sight of thine eyes which thou shalt see." So obviously, these are judgments that are on Israel, even more than just the curse, you might say, that is upon the earth. And, and these are the things that are being reversed when you look at what Psalm 128 is looking forward to. And the second image also gives us a correspondence. So in, in Lamentations chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, How doth the city sit solitary that was full of people? How has she become as a widow, she that was great among the nations and princess among the provinces? How has she become the tributary? She weepeth sore in the night, and her tears are on her cheeks. Among all her lovers she hath none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They are become her enemies. Judah is gone into captivity because of affliction and because of great servitude. She dwelleth among the heathen or the nations. She findeth no rest. All her persecutors overtook her between the straits. The ways of Zion do mourn, because none come to the solemn feasts. All her gates are desolate, her priests sigh, her virgins are afflicted, and she is in bitterness. Now, this is obviously not a Zion that blessings are flowing out from, that are, that are blessing the people with peace and prosperity all their days. Now, one of the common images that is used in the prophets is to look at um, Israel and, and Judah as a, a woman that essentially has been widowed and has lost all her children. So she's what you might call a bereft widow. Um, so Isaiah chapter 49, verses 20 and 21. The children, now this is after, this is after their restoration. The children which thou shalt have after thou hast lost the other shall say again in thine ears, The place is too straight for me. Give place to me that I may dwell. Then shalt thou say in thine heart, Who hath begotten me these, seeing I have lost my children and am desolate, a captive, and removing to and fro? And who hath brought up these? Behold, I was left alone. These, where had they been? So um, Isaiah is, is essentially talking about, um, again, Israel as this bereft widow has lost all of her, all of her children. Um, and now she has so many children, they won't all fit in her house. You know, we need a bigger tent is, is essentially what they're saying. And she's, she's in astonishment. Where, where did these come from? So again, when you think about this psalm and the blessing that's being promised, um, having, you know, wife and children um, fruitful and abundant in your house and seeing um, your, your children and your children's children and, and seeing these generations and these long life of blessings, again, obviously this is a reversal um, of this curse and judgment upon them. Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 15 to 17. Thus saith the Lord, 
A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel, weeping for her children, refused to be comforted for her children because they were not. Thus saith the Lord, refrain thy voice from weeping and thine eyes from tears, for thy work shall be rewarded, saith the Lord, and they shall come again from the land of the enemy. And there is hope in thine end, saith the Lord, that thy children shall come again to their own border. So obviously, uh, a part of this promise um, to Abraham that ultimately comes to Israel and, and to David and, and, and these covenants that God has made, obviously a part of that is going to be their descendants, their, their, the continuance of this nation, this um, repopulating, if you will, um, of Israel that has been reduced to just a very small remnant throughout um, these last couple of, of millennia. Well, Psalm 128 then is particularly about the restoration of Israel and Jerusalem so that the exile and the judgment curses are reversed as well as the curse on the earth. And though um, this does have effect beyond the nation of Israel, um, that's not explicitly mentioned in this particular psalm, but the implications from this psalm are that Israel will be dwelling safely in the land as promised, which again necessitates that the nations are not their enemies at this time that is being looked forward to. Well, that brings us to the messianic hope of this psalm, which is seen as the Lord sits in Zion and blessings flow out to those who fear him. Of course, Zion is where the anointed son king sits to reign with a rod of iron, according to um, Psalm 2, particularly verses 6 to 12. Um, and, if, and if you think about, um, we have this scene in the, in the New Testament when Jesus was here on the earth uh, of him weeping for Jerusalem. So read you, read you a couple of passages. Matthew chapter 23, verses 37 to 39. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chicks under her wings, and ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. For I say unto you, ye shall not see me henceforth, till ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Luke chapter 19, verses 41 to 44. And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it, saying, If thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace. And this is like this picture here in Psalm 128. It's exactly what... Jesus is talking about this is the, these are the these are the blessings that belong to them but now he says they're hid from thine eyes for the day shall come upon thee that thine enemy shall cast a trench about thee and compass thee round and keep thee in on every side and shall lay thee even with the ground and thy children within thee and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation in other words when both John and Jesus uh, appear and, and they're preaching this message that the kingdom is, is at hand, it was, it was close. He comes to this generation and the kingdom was close. These blessings are close. Of course, they rejected him and, and the exile continued and the judgments continue. Um, but this vision will be realized when the Lord returns to establish his kingdom and then he will bless um, Israel with peace and prosperity from Zion. All right, let's go to our applications. I have two of these. 
Number one, understanding Psalm 128 helps us understand the orientation toward God's good gifts. In other words, you know, we, we live in this present time of futility. You know, we, we live when things are lost and things are wasted and things are just cut off, whether it's lifespans or generations or whatever that the case may be. I mean, we, we live amidst disappointments and fears and trials and, and sorrows and danger. I mean, that's the, that's the time that we live in. And the future orientation in this psalm looks forward to realizing these blessings. In, in other words, when we think about God's good blessings and his promises, the present can sometimes seem like, well, you know, we're doing the right things, but nothing seems to be going right for us. Well, we are still yet subjected to the vanity of this creation, just like Ecclesiastes says, just like Romans 8 says. And, and there, there is no prosperity now um, in the Scripture. That is in a future time. Now, having said that, God absolutely does give us good things in this present time, and we should recognize those, and we should, should acknowledge those. So that leads us to number two, understanding Psalm 128 helps us understand how to pray for blessings. In, in other words, it's not wrong to seek God's blessings today, but ultimately that peace and prosperity that we are seeking comes in full in the future. And you even think about um, you know, the model prayer that, that we looked at, at recently and how that future orientation is there. Give us, you know, give us this day our, our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. And then Later, Jesus talked about um, the, you know, the worries and, and the sorrows of, of tomorrow and having sufficient you know, trouble today and, and all, all that sort of thing. So it, it does help us to, to understand that. We're not, we're not looking for the, the fullness of God's blessings in this way in this present life. These this, this blessings are come, that come with the kingdom of the Messiah. Um, and again, it extends beyond Israel, but Israel is, is the focus of this particular Psalm, but it's through him that that those blessings are going to flow out to others as well.